You're listening to Oak Park Podcast. And now, here's your host, Matt Murray. Chicago's a flat place. This figures since it was settled primarily in an area that was once underwater or clear-cut by a glacier. In fact, the highest point in Cook County today, that's not a skyscraper or landfill, is more than an hour's drive northwest from downtown. Unofficially, one of the Chicago area's highest peaks sits a bit closer to the loop in the village of Oak Park. The intersection of North Avenue and Ridgeland, at 600 feet above sea level, sits atop a continental divide. That's the point from which water either flows east towards the city of Chicago and into Lake Michigan, or to the west and towards the vast expanse of suburban Chicago. From its beginnings nearly 200 years ago, Oak Park's relative elevation and proximity to Chicago has served it well. In the early years, it kept it out of the muck of 19th century Chicago, both literally and figuratively, while providing enough access to the transportation lines, commerce, and opportunity of the nation's now third largest city. I learned a lot about Oak Park reading local historian David Sokol's well-researched book, Oak Park, The Evolution of a Village. In it, Sokol traces the village's history from a rural outpost to what's described today by many as the People's Republic of Oak Park, the liberal bastion of Chicago suburbia. I moved to Oak Park in 2013 with really no idea what to expect. Plus, I had a baby and wasn't getting much sleep. Sure, I'd visited Frank Lloyd Wright's houses before, and I knew that Ernest Hemingway, its most famous native son, never really much cared for the place. But I had very little understanding of what the place was about before I signed the closing documents. Like many in my situation, I came looking for solid schools and a reason not to buy a second car. Those I found, but I also encountered a community on the precipice of generational change. As with elsewhere, the last of the baby boomers here are sending their kids off to college and are starting to downsize. They're looking to trade in their suburban digs for places downtown or in areas with lower taxes. Among the long list of adjectives describing the baby boomers, apathetic is not one of them. As a generation, they marched on Washington, started a lot of businesses, and exerted their will on every level of government. Here, they ushered in sweeping social changes over decades, carving out a progressive community that stands very much in contrast to other Chicago suburbs. But are we, their successors in our 20s and 30s, ready or even interested in doing the heavy lifting to keep places like this intact? Yes, I care about the community and consider myself somewhat involved, but I've spent the past decade liking things on Facebook, not protesting or organizing. So when it comes to getting the local school board to do something that I'm sure would be fantastic, honestly, I wouldn't even know where to begin. Meh, isn't there an app for that? Like I was saying, and apparently I'm not alone. I sat down recently with historian David Sokol, who's lived in Oak Park for 40 years. He raised his family here and has been deeply involved in local government in the community going back decades. We talked at length about the village, its origins, and where it's headed. Sure, we discussed perennial local issues like parking and economic development. And we talked extensively about Madison Street, that lonely stretch of road that still hasn't really recovered from the car dealership's exodus well before my time. 
but that probably deserves its own episode. Most importantly, Sokol and I discussed an issue that's less tangible, but ultimately more consequential long-term here and in communities like it all around the country. What happens to a community when my generation moves in? Perhaps it's a function of old age. Perhaps it's a function of having gotten here in the early years of activism for us and being involved with the community council before I ran for village board and so forth. But I see a diminution of citizen involvement at some level. We're filling up all the commissions, but I've, whereas when we were here our first few years and there was an issue, it seemed to be more of, all right, let's get our friends and neighbors together and go and deal with it. Uh, redlining, uh, slumlords, whatever. I think I hear a lot more uh, wealthy young people saying, I'm paying high taxes, you take care of it. Oak Park's roots go back to the mid-19th century, a time when many in the area were looking for a more family-friendly alternative to rough-and-tumble Chicago. Oak Park uh, essentially came about because uh, a good number of Englishmen who uh, tended to be Methodists uh, and very specifically uh, anti-booze Methodists were involved with a sawmill along the Des Plaines River. And uh, Mr. Kettlestrings came along as part of that and eventually acquired a certain amount of property uh, just east of the area his bosses had sort of, you know, grabbed uh, closer to the river. And so we eventually ended up with the area, the western end of, Oak, of what we now call Oak Park, uh, that was Oak Ridge, and then there was Ridge Land. And, of course, the continental divide that comes through Oak Park uh, and which is marked at various places, particularly there's a marker on Chicago Avenue, uh, and as you go down Scoville Park, you're very aware of that, and the hill down, going down uh, Oak Park Avenue. Uh, the higher area, the western area, was the more desirable part because it was drier, didn't tend to flood. When you recognize that many, many, almost eons ago, uh, that continental divide and that shallower areas, the area that was the further westernmost part of Lake Michigan. This area that we now call Oak Park was all part of Cicero Township, uh, which was a very political uh, identity. Uh, and uh, there were people from the area that we now call Oak Park, from the two parts, again from Ridgeland and Oak Ridge, who got involved in different aspects of the politics of Cicero Township, including and up through the erection of what is now Austin's Town Hall that you see from the Green Line sitting right there. The Oak Park, the people who were the Oak Park boosters, if you will, became pretty concerned that essentially they weren't getting their share of the distribution of resources. The tax dollars were going into projects always east in the eastern part of the uh, district and very little was being spent here. So they began to, to agitate for some degree of separation, plus again some of that leadership 
uh, not only the descendants of the Kettle Strings, but the Austins and so forth, were very interested in the whole issue of temperance and did not want uh, to have liquor. As a matter of fact, one of the oft-quoted uh, little bon mots was uh, supposedly someone asking a driver, how do I know when I get to Oak Park? He said, when the liquor stores end and the churches begin. Oak Park eventually broke away from Cicero Township, and it experienced a dramatic expansion in the decades after the Great Chicago Fire of 1871. This continued until just before the Second World War, when Oak Park's population peaked at around 65,000. The tendency to uh, have more brick rather than wood construction, people who were fleeing the city for a variety of reasons and had options uh, tended to come to Oak Park. So uh, in the later part of the 19th century and the very early part of the 20th century is when we got several of our subdivisions, uh, like the works put up by Gunderson that actually became one of the historic districts. But pretty much the development was all still pretty much the village, the middle of the village going all the way uh, to Harlem and the area north of Division, certainly, and not too far south of Madison was still comparatively unpopulated. As he describes it, the Oak Park Sokol encountered when he arrived in the 1970s looked very different than it does today. Still then a dry community, it was a place very much tied to its traditional past, both politically and culturally. This all changed quickly in the years following the Vietnam War. When even I moved into the community, it was very heavily uh, Republican. Uh, they never supported a Democratic candidate for president. Uh, that changed substantially uh, by now. And if I recall correctly, President Obama carried something like 80% of Oak Park's vote. So, you know, in that sense, it's changed. It may have been always innovative, but it wasn't always, you know, liberal in the, in the sense that we use it in regard to contemporary politics. Uh, it was always willing to do things. It was always, pretty much always, with periods or times of uh, difference, but they was pretty much always willing to sort of tax itself to have uh, a lot of good facilities, whether it was the schools, the uh, parks, the field houses in the parks, uh, putting up when the village, of course, became independent, uh, the new the, the, the village hall. Uh, in the early 70s, late 60s, early 70s, as the whole issues of uh, integration, racial change, whatever terms you want to use, became important uh, in this area. And we had this rapid racial change in the area butting uh, Oak Park, you know, still called Austin, the Austin neighborhood. Uh, there were at least two schools of thought, those who thought we have to try and accommodate change, those who tried to resist it, and, of course, various uh, initiatives were taken, uh, both positive and negative, if you will, carrots and sticks. On one hand was the uh, disallowance of for sale and for rental signs, which still exist today, uh, as an attempt to avoid panic peddling, redlining, and dealing with those kinds of issues. Uh, on the other hand, in the uh, mid early mid-70s, 
uh, as people started to be afraid of being, you know, quotes, east of Ridgeland, unquote. Uh, that was the word out from uh, some of the less positive realtors. Uh, a conscious decision was made to build a new village hall way east in the village as a sign of support and that we're not giving up and making two areas. So uh, there's a balance of things, again, uh, both uh, positive and negative, uh, optimism and pessimism, uh, making an interesting blend of nonetheless activism in trying to adjust those who wanted to flee, fled to other communities, others stayed. And one of the things I think very interesting, and I believe I pointed it out in the book, when uh, a couple of, well, two blocks of residential buildings were torn down in order to create the new village hall and the, and the green area next to it, a very high percentage of those people stayed in Oak Park. As Sokol describes it, it didn't take much to rally the neighborhood troops back in the day around issues they felt were important. This fire in the belly, he said, is harder to come by these days. And it's being replaced by what he describes as a more wary model. When uh, the then principal of Hawthorne School, what was then Hawthorne School, called together people to say, let's look at a community issues, we started the Hawthorne Community Council. It was not only about the schools. Again, the first things we were doing was going after slumlords who were hiding behind land trusts and not being able to find them. And going and getting involved with a local bank and telling them, you better divest this or we're taking our money out of your banks. As locals, I don't see much of that kind of thing happening anymore. And maybe it is and maybe it's not needed. And But uh, again, that was the kind of thing we did. We met with people who we still encounter at public functions and political meetings and whatever, uh, although we're getting older and dying off and hunkering down or whatever. But uh, I think some of that spirit has been lost in favor of a more, not necessarily bureaucratized or even corporate, but a more deliberate and wary model. Oak Park is also known for its high property taxes. It's not out of the ordinary for a family to pay a third or more of their monthly housing expense towards property taxes, most of which apparently has been self-inflicted. A lot of people complain about the taxes here, but on the other hand, there are very few referenda that have not passed. And if you look even at the recent, say, 10 or 15 years, the referendum to redo all the parks, the referendum to build the two middle schools, the referendum to build the new library, all of these have passed. And it doesn't matter whether I think they should or shouldn't have They've passed, that has meant substantially high taxes. And maybe the people who are most vociferously against, concerned about the taxes, uh, didn't vote for them, but obviously a substantial number of people did. And that's why they passed. And so, as the philosopher Pogo Possum used to say, we've met the enemy, it is us. That enemy may now be having a change of heart. In recent months, the local school board received unexpected opposition to a plan to borrow more than $17 million to build a new swimming pool at the high school. Was the effort solely supported by newcomers? That's difficult to say. 
but the swift blowback did appear to take many in the community by surprise. Obviously, to some extent, it was a straw that broke the camel's back for a number of people. And I have to say, in my, to whatever extent I am a seer, I would say if they had gone ahead with that, they would have whistled for a long time before they'd ever have gotten another referendum approved. So whether that was part of the thinking or just bowing to the, all of the ultimate realization by the unusual success of that a petition against it for referendum that uh, it showed uh, that there was a substantial concern. Newcomers also appear to be leaving their mark on the housing stock in Oak Park, which is home to a large collection of historic houses and buildings, include many by architect Frank Lloyd Wright. This isn't the first time change has come to the community with regards to housing, but the more pedestrian, mixed-use style structures that are now under construction, or soon will be, have no shortage of critics. The first time two flats were introduced, the shrieks about the end of Western civilization as we knew it were loud and strong. Uh, this, then the smaller apartment houses and, and hotel kinds of residences, um, rooming houses, each then the first lot line to lot line apartment houses. Every time it was going to be the end of the world. Uh, one of the, my things I keep in mind and point out when possible, uh, there's a very lovely Art Deco uh, apartments on the corner of Grove Avenue that people look at from tourism all the time. When the house, the Victorian home that was torn down to build that again, my God, what is this town coming to putting up this bigger apartment house tearing down this lovely home. Well, yes, it might have been a lovely Victorian home, but uh, this is a very desirable uh, jewel of a piece of uh, multi-unit uh, domestic architecture in, in the community. So now the uh, concerns are about the high-rises that are springing up primarily along the western part of uh, Lake Street. Uh, people, some think it's the, again, the end of Western civilization. Others think they're too tall. Others think it's too crowded. There's no question there's going to be more uh, traffic issues to continue to deal with. Uh, housing has always, though, been our primary industry. And while it may not spell the end of Western civilization, it's not hard to see these incremental generational changes more and more with each passing year. The Pew Research Center describes the generation now entering its mid-30s as detached from institutions. Is that happening here in any substantive way? David Sokol with the final word. I don't want to again say too much that people are not getting involved. It's perhaps different because again, all the commissions are being filled, a lot of young people. Uh, we were always a bedroom community. There was always people moving in and moving out and, uh, you know, jobs, whatever, high education, going off to school, not coming back after growing up here. So I don't want to be too pessimistic, and it's changing, and again, I don't have a crystal ball, so uh, perhaps the only thing I will say is that a lot of the activism may be more focused now on one particular problem, and possibly selfishly, what is, how is it affecting my family? And it's about this, schools or parking, not 
a sort of jumping in about and an awareness about all of it and seeing the interconnectivity, uh, you know, between those different aspects. So what do you think? Please give us your take on our Facebook page and oakparkpodcast.com. And if you have an idea that you think should be explored on the show, please send me a note at mmurray at oakparkpodcast.com. Thanks for tuning in.